1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. Uh, When I was in grade three, I started noticing that the words that my teacher was writing on the blackboard up the back uh, sorry, up the front, they were getting blurrier and blurrier. Um, I used to always sit in the back row. Um, please don't judge me for that. Um, I don't actually fit the stereotype of the back row person, but for some reason I always sat in the back row, and I started to realize that I couldn't see the words on the, on the blackboard clearly. You know, I couldn't see people's faces clearly. They were all blurry and dim, out of focus. And so mum took me to see the optometrist and you know, out of all that, I started wearing these glasses, and um, it's been my life ever since. Actually, when I do this now, I can't see any of you. You're just <laughs> a blur right now. That's how bad my eyes are. <laughs> I remember, actually, an old pastor telling me that the gospel, the Christian message, you know, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's like wearing a set of glasses. The gospel is a lens. Uh, it's like a glasses Uh, that you put on and you look through. And when you do that, the things that are blurry, the things that are dim, they become clearer. The things that may seem dull and ordinary or out of focus, they become in focus. And, you know, the spectrum of colors are all brought out and, you know, you appreciate the extraordinary beauty of just being able to see properly. Uh, Well, friends, we're starting a new sermon series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, This is one of the Apostle Paul's letters that's recorded and kept for us in the New Testament. And this was his letter, along with Silas and Timothy, uh, his fellow gospel co-workers. This was their letter to uh, the church in Thessalonica, which is a city in modern-day Macedonia. And this book of 1 Thessalonians, it's like putting on the gospel glasses. Uh, It's like 
putting on the lens of the gospel uh, so that we can see things clearer through this lens of the gospel. And you know, as we go through this letter of 1 Thessalonians, we'll see, we'll see into Paul's own heart and, and see what drives him and drives and fuels his actions and his ministry and his desires. And when we do that, more importantly, we'll see into God's heart. We'll see into God's heart and what he wants, his will for us. And also what he's doing for us, his church, not just now, but for the future as well. And my prayer and my hope is that we will see clearly that this gospel, this lens of the gospel that we will see through, it will clear up and put into focus what, you know, how we see ourselves and how we see God and also how we see each other as his church that God is preparing this future for. Uh, so let's stop and let's pray for that now. Gracious God, thank you for the message of Christ, your son, this gospel that has come to us and has changed us. Uh, please, by your spirit, illuminate this gospel for us so that what is dim will be made clear and what um, is out of focus will be brought into focus, that we would see ourselves, that we would see our future through your eyes and that we would desire also the things that you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So imagine with me a bunch of ordinary Christians. Ordinary Christians, a bunch of ordinary Christians living in a city. A city, uh, this city has a great lifestyle. It has an important economy. It's the biggest and most wealthy city of its country. Uh, it's also a city with different beliefs, uh, beliefs that oppose the Christian truths. It's a city that actually wouldn't mind having a go every now and then at Christianity and giving Christians a hard time. Just imagine a bunch of ordinary Christians living in this kind of city. What did you imagine? Who were you thinking of? Maybe you're thinking of us, St. Stephen's. You know, we're a bunch of ordinary Christians, aren't we? We live in a great city, you know, great lifestyle in Sydney. It's a wealthy, it's an economically important city. It's also a city that wouldn't mind giving Christians like us a hard time every now and then. It's true. But the ordinary bunch of Christians that you're imagining, it's also the Thessalonians too. These were a bunch of ordinary Christians living in a city like our own, like Sydney. Thessalonica was the biggest city in Macedonia. It was actually on the seaside as well. It was economically very important, and it was a city full of idolatry and full of people who didn't mind putting pressure on Christians. Uh, these Thessalonians, they were a bunch of ordinary Christians living and battling it out in a tough world. But when Paul... When the Apostle Paul looks at this bunch of ordinary Christians through the lens of the gospel, through the glasses of the gospel, he actually sees something extraordinary. Look at how Paul addresses them in verse 1. He says, Paul, Silas, Timothy, uh, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. When Paul looks at this ordinary bunch of Christians, he sees the work of the triune God. When Paul looks at this church through the lens of the gospel, he doesn't primarily see them as a church in Thessalonica or a church in Sydney or a church in Willoughby, but a church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in God, in Christ, this 
ordinary bunch of Christians, they're actually extraordinary. And they're extraordinary not because of who they are or what they can do, not because of their skill sets or their status in the world, but because of God. Because the triune God has worked in them through his gospel. Let's have a closer look. Uh, Verse 2, Paul says, We always thank God for all of you. We always thank God for all of you, he says. Imagine just picking up that letter and hearing these words from the Apostle Paul. First thing he says, amazing, right? For each one of these Thessalonian Christians, Paul is thankful to God for them. It's extraordinary thankfulness. Uh, This is actually a really typical way that Paul begins his letters in the New Testament. Some of you may have read some of his other letters. He normally, nearly all of the letters that are written by Paul in the Bible, they begin with this expression of thankfulness to, to these other Christians. See, when you see other Christians through the lens of the gospel, like Paul does here, it's just natural to be thankful to God. A whole passage this morning, verses 12, uh, 2 to 10, actually all falls under this umbrella of thankfulness. And so we're going to zoom in and look at particularly, uh, one, how Paul expresses this thankfulness, uh, two, why he's thankful, and, and three, I guess, what he's specifically thankful about. Um, but it all kind of falls under this, this umbrella of thankfulness. He's just thankful for all these things. But firstly, you know, how does Paul express his thankfulness? Verse 2 continues. Uh, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. How does Paul show his thankfulness? He's always mentioning them in his prayers. Uh, notice that he's thankful to God for them. You know, his thanks to them is it's directed to God. Uh, see, the gospel creates this beautiful dynamic of relationships between fellow believers. You know, there's a horizontal dynamic between me and you, you know, between us and other Christians. There's a horizontal dynamic of relationships. And these, I guess, horizontal relationships, they're only possible because of our vertical relationship with God. It's because you're in God and your identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's because I'm in God and my identity is in Christ. Seeing that, which is only possible, you know, through the lens of the gospel, when you see that, it actually takes our horizontal relationships to the next level, like Paul does here. And, you know, when we pray, our prayers, our prayers actually do that. See, when we pray, we pray to God vertically. You know, that's the vertical relationship. But when you pray to God, you know, vertical, when you pray to God for your brother and sister in Christ, the horizontal, do you see? Do you see how beautiful that set of relationships is? The gospel makes us see each other so differently. Now, the second thing to say here is that our prayers always reflect our hearts. You know, what we pray for, it shows, we, we pray for what we long for. And when Paul mentions these Thessalonians in his prayers, it's because this church is in his heart. They're in his heart. He's caring for them. He's thankful for them because of the gospel. And so he's always praying for them. That's how his thankfulness is expressed. Um, But what is he thankful for? Well, like I said before, you could really list out the rest of these verses in this passage to answer that question. But we'll start with verse 3. We remember... Before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Firstly, he remembers them. 
This church isn't just in his heart, it's in his mind as well. He's thinking and remembering them before God. But what about them does he remember? Does he remember that they were a really nice set of people, that they were really funny, maybe they had nice food that they shared with him? No, he lists out three things. And these are three extraordinary things that we might often be tempted to think are just ordinary. They are faith, love, and hope. These are three extraordinary fruits of the gospel that are in believers. I will go through them one by one. Firstly, faith. Your work produced by faith. See, their faith, the Thessalonian faith, it produces works. Uh, it's an active faith, in other words. It's not a passive faith. And, you know, the gospel says we're not saved by what we do, but by trusting in Christ. That's a, tr- that's a key facet of the Christian gospel. We're saved by faith alone in Christ Jesus, not by our works. But the faith that we're saved by, it never comes alone. True faith is always active. True faith always produces works in us. You know, so, for example, if I trust that this microphone works, uh, and I trust that Sue has set it up all correctly, if I trust it, then I'll speak into it. You know, I'll actually, my action of speaking into it reflects my faith in this microphone and in Sue, who's operating it. Likewise, if I trust that Jesus is Lord, then I will seek to change my life. My life will change. My life decisions, my behavior, my actions will slowly reflect that faith, that belief that I have that Jesus is my Lord. See, faith produces work. Love. Your labor prompted by love. Love is laborsome, isn't it? Love takes effort. It takes sacrifice. It's costly. It involves toil and sweat and pain. See, when the Bible speaks of love, true love, it's always more than just a feeling. That's how God demonstrated his love for us in Jesus on the cross. It's an action. You know, and when we love and when we serve each other here at church, it's labor, isn't it? It involves sacrifice. It's costly. Sometimes it's painful. It's all prompted by love, our love for each other. Lastly, hope. Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus our Lord, we have real hope. I remember someone early on when I was a a new Christian, someone early on told me that Christian hope is a hope that has an exclamation mark, you know, an exclamation mark, not a question mark. Hope in the world, you know, always comes with a question mark, you know, when you say things like, when people say things like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, or, you know, I hope that I will be able to buy this house next year. There's never 100% certainty in all that, is there? It's hope with a question mark. But Christian hope is different. Because our hope is in Jesus, in Christ, our hope for eternal life beyond death, our hope for the end of pain and suffering on that final day, our hope for you know, being saved from judgment, our hope of being welcomed by God, our Father in heaven, all of that Christian hope, it is 100% certain. It's hope not with a question mark, it's hope with an exclamation mark. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again. Our hope only comes from that gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. And this hope, this Christian hope that comes from the gospel, it brings endurance in us. It helps us to endure. It helps us to endure the brokenness 
the dissatisfaction of our world. It helps us persevere through the suffering and the pain that we go through. See, faith, love, and hope. We might not always have the eyes to see this in each other and also in ourselves, but they're extraordinary fruits of the gospel that are in every believer. And that's what Paul sees and remembers in these Thessalonians. But what's Paul ultimately, ultimately, you know, the, the source of his thankfulness to God for them? It's actually the gospel. It's in the gospel that they receive the gospel. Paul's ultimate reason for thanks is the gospel. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. Um, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because that gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. See, the gospel, the Christian message, the news of Jesus, that he's Lord and Savior, it could just be words on paper for some people. You know, the gospel could just be ink on paper. It could just be sound bites that you hear. It could just be some noise or, you know, another opinion. It could just be a nice, interesting story or a really interesting philosophy for some people. But for Christians, for those who are loved and chosen by God, the gospel comes with the power of God. It comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. For Christians, the gospel is the word of God himself, the message that comes from the living and true God. And when this gospel comes with this power and this deep conviction, that, my friends, is a starting point for extraordinary change. Now, I want to talk about a couple of things here. Firstly, notice the order. Notice the order. The gospel comes. It comes first. And then these Thessalonians were changed. In other words, the gospel is received you receive it first, and then it changes you. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't earn it based on your merits or on your achievements. You receive it. It's a gift from God. Uh, and friends, this is the key difference between gospel and religion. See, religion says do a bunch of things, obey these set of rules, and then God will love and accept you. If you do these things... Then God, if you obey all these things, then God will accept you. You win and earn his love. But the gospel says the opposite. See, the gospel says you are loved by God and you are chosen by God, verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. See, you might have, think, you might have thought that you chose God, but actually he chose you first. And God welcomes you and he accepts you, not based on anything that you've done, not because of how good you are. That's the heart of the gospel. And because he accepts you, and because he loves you unconditionally, because of Christ who died on the cross, because of that, your life will completely change. The love of Christ will compel you to obey him, to make him your Lord, to follow his commands. See, in other words, the gospel produces fruit. It produces change and transformation. And we see this change in the Thessalonians. It's in the coming verses. You see, receiving this gospel by the power of the Spirit and with deep conviction, it brings extraordinary change. Um, and before we get to that uh, in verses 6 to 10, I want to say one more thing about the word power. See, the work of the Spirit in believers to produce gospel fruit, change and transformation, 
often we underestimate this. Often we devalue this. Often we don't see how extraordinary this is. I remember someone asking me about miracles. And he said, you know, why don't we see the miracles that we read about in the Bible anymore? You know, people that get healed, uh, you know, a loaf of bread that can transform into lots of bread. How amazing would that be for morning tea, right? Supernatural things. Why don't we see that anymore? And I want to say, well, firstly, actually, God still does those things. In fact, the gentleman who became a Christian at Simply Christianity a couple of months ago, he had a miraculous healing before he accepted Christ. But I also wonder if we've got blurry vision in this area. See, the fact that you believe the gospel, not just as words on paper, not just as ink and you know, sound bites, but as the very word of God, the fact that you believe in this gospel is a miracle. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can believe. Not just that, the fact that your lives are changing, that's also the miraculous power of God working in you, just like he did in those Thessalonians. See, when we look through things through the gospel glasses, through the lens of the gospel, what might seem ordinary is actually extraordinary. And so let's look at this extraordinary change in the Thessalonians brought out by the gospel. Uh, verse 6, verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of suffer severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the big themes... One of the big themes in 1 Thessalonians in this book is how the church, how this church learned the gospel life through Paul. In uh, Acts 17, which is the bit in Acts where you can read about this church, you read that Paul spends time living amongst this church, this group of people. And as he lives amongst them and he, as he speaks the gospel to them, God changes this church, this group of people by his spirit. I remember when I was a younger Christian, like, you know, still learning what it's all about. Um, I really learned how to live out the gospel by watching and copying older Christians. You know, I was quite careless with my words. I was dishonored. I swore a lot. But when I saw how they spoke to each other, you know, with kindness, with gentleness, with love and care, you know, I tried to copy that. And I know that's many of your stories too, that you learned how to live this gospel out as you imitated and copied each other. That's, that's church life, right? That's discipleship. And again, we might think this is ordinary stuff, you know, nothing special. But through the lens of the gospel, it's actually extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And as this church imitated Paul and imitated Jesus, others imitated them. Verse 7, look at verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This church had a footprint. It had a footprint. It was impacting people. Not just a footprint to believers, but also to non-believers. Look at verse 8. Uh, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. This church, this bunch of believers, they weren't silent in their faith. The gospel, the Lord's message, it rang out from them. It sounded out from them. They received the gospel and they passed it on. They weren't silent. Again, this is the extraordinary work and change that the Spirit brings about in believers. Um, you know, some of you know that we do a belonging course here. 
And my favorite part of that course, uh, and many of you have kind of done this course, the favorite part of this, my favorite part of this course is the part where it has all the churches that St. Stephen's helped plant uh, and established in the, you know, like in the hundreds of years that, that, that you know, this church has been around. You know, this church has helped plant um, Willoughby Park, Forestville, Belrose, even um, Cabramatta, like that box at the very back next to Neil, it has a little memorial um, about how we helped a church in Cabramatta start up. And also Western Australia, we support the Kingdom family and they, they serve at Newman, north, you know, really remote uh, northwestern Australia. And that was a church that we helped um, start up. You know, by God's grace, our church, St. Stephen's, has a gospel footprint. And even as I reflect back on this year and even this week, I know that the gospel has not been silent amongst you and amongst us. I know that many of you are the Christian at work, the Christian in your workplace. You're the Christian in your family, in your community, because the gospel hasn't been silent in you. Just this week, one of you told me about the conversations she had with her nephews about Jesus, how she met up with her nephew and was talking about Jesus with them, trying to read the Bible with them. Another person came up and told me that he met a friend at a 21st party and they started talking about, and now they're meeting up to read the Bible and talk about Jesus. Another one of you has been talking to Jesus about um, with your best mates who you go surfing with every, every week. You know, these are just small stories that I know, you know, that by the Spirit of God, there's been extraordinary work in us, amongst us, that we haven't been silent. The gospel has been sounding out from us, and long may that continue. Lastly, lastly, the extraordinary change of the gospel, sorry, go back, is in our turning from idols and waiting for salvation. It's in our worship, our change of worship and our waiting. Look at verses 9 and 10, the last two verses. Uh, halfway through verse 9. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now you might hear the word idols and you might think back in the day, you know, in ancient times people made idols out of statues. Um, there's a God of wealth that you worship, a God of success, a God of beauty and health. Nowadays, we've become so sophisticated in our modern world that we just worship wealth and people just worship wealth and success and health and all that. We don't need the God of that thing. We just worship those things. And you know, friends, we used to do that. We used to look to these things to give us, friends, uh, to give us meaning and worth. But when we turn to Christ, when we turn to him, we also turn from worshipping these idols. And though, yes, we might still struggle with those idols, but look at the work of the Spirit in us. See, like the Thessalonians, we used to look to things like wealth and success and health and happiness for our ultimate meaning. But now, by the work of the Spirit, we have turned from that and we worship and find our ultimate meaning in God. And I know that like the Thessalonians, some of you did that amidst huge suffering and hardship, as verse 6 hints at it too. But not just that we have changed our worship, we also wait now. We wait 
trusting in God's promises. Verse 10, we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. And that word waiting, it might seem unimpressive. Not very impressive, is it, waiting? But it's because of the gospel and the power of the Spirit that we wait. See, it's because we trust in God's promise that as surely as Christ was raised back to life from the dead, so sure is our rescue from the coming wrath when he returns. Uh, friends, there's, there's just so much from this passage that we could speak more about. And I hope that this has kind of whet your appetite for what's coming up in the rest of 1 Thessalonians. But as I finish up, I want to say, I want to say it's easy to look at our own lives as Christians and even to look at each other at our church and feel kind of, you know, so what? What's so impressive about us? What's so impressive about me? What's so impressive about us as a church? But this week, as I was preparing this passage, I was really struck with thankfulness to God for you. This is us. We're not just a bunch of ordinary Christians living in Sydney. Because of the gospel, because of the work of God's Spirit in us, we are extraordinary. We have received the gospel with power and with conviction. And this gospel has and is changing and has changed our lives and will continue to do so. So, brothers and sisters, I thank God for you. Thank God for all of you. Let's keep putting on these gospel glasses. Let's keep seeing the extraordinary work that God has done in ourselves and in each other. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the true and living God. Thank you for giving us your Son and changing us by your Spirit. I thank you for our church and for each one of us here at St. Stephen's who are in Christ. Thank you that the gospel came in power. Thank you for their works of faith and the labors that are prompted by love, for the endurance that they have in the hope of the gospel. Lord, help us to keep imitating your Son, Christ. And Lord, may our gospel footprint keep going out from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.